Our theme for Easter is life from behind closed doors. And this morning's scripture actually gives us two scenes where the disciples are gathered behind closed doors. In the first, all of the disciples are there, except for Thomas. And in the second, Thomas is present and we hear and we see what happens then. Uh, Alice is going to read our first part of our scripture and then Patrick the second. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the religious authorities, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, which means twin, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and reach out and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not yet seen, and yet they have believed. Then the writer of the gospel concludes the story by turning to their readers and saying, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, by believing, you may have life in his name. We celebrate the written word of scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ, among us. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy risen Christ, we come to you with all that we are, including our questions. We ask that in this time, you will enable us to hear and to see and to become a living word to bless the world you love. Amen. This morning, scripture brings us behind closed doors with the disciples in those bewildering first days after resurrection. And it tells us two stories of how the disciples encounter the risen Christ. First, with all the disciples gathered, except Thomas, and then with Thomas coming late to the party. 
have you noticed what I am not calling Thomas? I am not calling him Doubting Thomas because I don't agree with that. Over the years, the church has labeled this story the story of Doubting Thomas. And that's what we've ended up calling him, Doubting Thomas, as if the only thing Thomas ever did was doubt. The traditional version is this. When Jesus was resurrected, Thomas is the one who didn't believe. Thomas is the one who didn't get it. The phrase doubting Thomas has even slipped into our everyday speech. That's what we call someone who stubbornly, stubbornly and obstinately insists on more proof all the time. Well, they're just a doubting Thomas. Well, I submit that history has not been fair to Thomas. There is much more to this story. There's much more to Thomas. And for that matter, there's much more to doubt and to faith, particularly in bewildering times. And so I want to make the case for Thomas this morning. But first, the case against Thomas. The case against Thomas is straightforward. The disciples are gathered together after the crucifixion. They are scared and they're trying to make sense of the tumultuous events of their world. They're reeling from their trauma and they're staying safe behind closed doors. And the resurrected Christ appears in their midst and says, peace be with you. And Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. But Thomas isn't there. And when the disciples tell Thomas about it, he doesn't believe them. He doubts, as some would say. And Thomas tells them as much, I'm not going to believe you until I see Jesus for myself, until I put my fingers in the nail marks in his hand, until I put my hand in his side. And so Jesus comes back and offers himself to Thomas. Thomas, place your finger here. Thomas, place your hand here. And then, and only then, does this so-called doubting Thomas believed. Thomas doubts. Doubting Thomas, blessed are those who believe without seeing. But there's much more to this story. First of all, there's so much more to Thomas. We are always so much more than any one moment in our lives. Thomas has been with Jesus for the whole journey. He's a bold disciple, not afraid to speak up at important moments. Do you remember a, a few weeks ago when we shared the story of Lazarus? Jesus doesn't go to Lazarus at first, but when Jesus decides to go, the disciples try to stop him. They tell Jesus that it would be dangerous to go to the town where Lazarus has died. The authorities there are trying to kill Jesus. But when Jesus says, no, I'm going, Thomas, and only Thomas, speaks up and says, let's go with Jesus so that we may die with him. But we don't call him Thomas the Courageous. Then at the Last Supper, Thomas asked Jesus, after listening him, listening to everything he's saying, Thomas asked Jesus, how can we know the way? Prompting Jesus to answer, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But we don't call him Thomas who asks the right questions. And in this story, is Thomas's reaction really all that unusual? 
Thomas certainly isn't the only one who is perplexed and confused at the resurrection. In fact, almost everyone in the story has to experience the risen Christ for themselves before the reality of resurrection starts to sink in. They have to see to believe. When Mary tells Peter and the beloved disciple that the tomb is empty, they have to run and see for themselves. And only then do they believe, and then only that the tomb is empty. Then when Mary encounters the risen Christ, she doesn't recognize Jesus. She thinks that Jesus is the gardener. She only recognizes Jesus when he calls her by name. And then she says, Rabboni, teacher. And when Jesus appears to the other disciples at the beginning of this morning's scripture, Jesus shows them his hands and his side, and then, but only then, do they recognize him. Quite frankly, I'd be perplexed too. These stories are about resurrection. This is a world where someone who was dead is now alive. Someone whom they loved, Jesus, has been crucified, and now he has appeared in their midst. And everyone in the story is struggling to come to terms with this remarkable event, to make sense of their world and to make sense of resurrection. And I just think that's the way we are wired. That's how we process new information, how we learn, how we cope, how we become, how we grow. We try so hard to figure out our way through life. We learn basic survival skills. We learn how to take care of each other, how to become a family, a community. And then we do that again and again as the circumstances of life change. We may learn special skills, a vocation. We try to create something in the world. And as we go along, we try to make sense of it all. We try to make meaning out of the world as we live in it. But every once in a while, we encounter something that is just beyond our comprehension. Something bigger than us, something bigger than all that we have experienced up to this point in life. What I've come to know so far just isn't enough to fully grasp the news that I'm hearing now. The psalmist says it like this. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Think, think of all the new things we've had to learn in these past few weeks. Of course, there are the mysteries of Zoom, and they are no small thing. Think of everything that you have needed to learn just to get here this morning. But beyond that, all of a sudden, almost every pattern that we have in life has been interrupted. We have been hit with the reality that the globe is wrapped in pandemic. So many are sick, so many are dying, and we've had to adapt every part of our life. We've had to head behind closed doors collectively to slow the virus, something I didn't even know that we could do. And individually, we've had to do that to keep ourselves and our families and our neighbors safe. We've had to learn new ways of working and doing our jobs, new ways of learning and being a student, for parents, new ways of teaching our kids, new ways of being family, new ways of living in solitude, new ways of connecting across physical distance. And think of all the questions all the questions that rise up in us. 
how will I get through this? Will I get sick? Or my loved ones? How can we stay reasonably safe and still leave, live life? What is my part to play in the collective and global effort to save life? Is anyone else out there feeling like this too? How do I stay connected with my people? How do we continue our work for justice when we shouldn't leave the house? How long will we be doing this? Where is God? Where is God in all this? The world is utterly bewildering. Our time's overwhelming and each of us sheltering behind closed doors, we come together this morning, each of us with questions. And so it is for Thomas, and quite honestly for everyone else in this story, because the world that Thomas knows up to this point has culminated in crucifixion. Thomas has been with Jesus for the whole journey, and Thomas alone among the disciples has been acutely aware that what Jesus was doing was dangerous and could end in Jesus's death. And so it has. But now Thomas is being asked to come to terms with the news that one who was dead and buried is now alive. So when the disciples tell Thomas that they've seen Jesus alive, Thomas says quite simply, I need to see Jesus too. I need to see to believe just like you. It's as if Thomas says to his friends, nothing you are telling me makes any sense. In fact, nothing in the past few weeks makes much sense. We, we heard the hosannas. We gathered in that upper room and Jesus washed our feet. We heard what he said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. A new commandment I give you, love one another. We were there when he was arrested. We watched as they crucified him. We laid him in that tomb. It's as if Thomas says to his friends, after all this, you're telling me he's alive? None of this makes any sense to me. I need to see Jesus for myself. I need to touch Jesus. I don't understand any of this. I need Jesus. Thomas is being asked to come to terms with something that right now is beyond his comprehension beyond the way that the world makes sense to him. And his response isn't so much doubt as it is a cry for help, a reaching out. I need to see Jesus. And so perhaps Thomas's defining characteristic isn't so much that he is doubting. Maybe it's just that he is thoroughly human. What is so remarkable about Thomas isn't his doubting, but his open and honest humanity. Human Thomas. And perhaps the case for Thomas is really the case for us all. And in this scripture, no one makes that case more powerfully than Jesus himself. Look how Jesus responds to Thomas. The disciples are gathered again. This time Thomas is with them and Jesus appears in their midst. Peace be with you. And Jesus walks over to Thomas and he says, Thomas, here I am. See me, touch me, 
I am still here. Jesus doesn't rebuke Thomas for doubting. In fact, Jesus doesn't even use the word doubt. Here, here's the kicker. The word doubt doesn't appear anywhere in the Greek text of Scripture. In the Greek, what Jesus says here really translates become not unbelieving, but believing. Jesus invites Thomas to become. Behind these closed doors with the world swirling around outside, Jesus invites Thomas to become. Jesus has heard Thomas's questions, and in response, Jesus offers himself to Thomas. Thomas, I am still here. And that's all that Thomas needs, my Lord and my God. And it turns out that Thomas doesn't actually need to touch Jesus after all. Jesus offers himself to Thomas, and that is enough. As one writer has said, it's as if Thomas asks for proof, and what Jesus offers is presence. And that presence transforms Thomas into something new. He sees something new, my Lord and my God. When Thomas's world just doesn't make sense to him anymore, it's as if Jesus reaches out and takes Thomas by the hand and says, I'm still here. And Thomas gets it. This is resurrection. Thomas, I'm still here with you. Thomas, there is nothing that can separate you from me. And so it is with us. This, this is resurrection. Life where we least expected to find it. Love when we thought the world had run out. When life defies all comprehension, when the world is a confusing, even a scary place, when we run like the disciples and gather from behind closed doors bewildered, God comes to us in Jesus Christ again and again and says, peace be with you. Receive the warm breath of Christ. Let the Spirit of God breathe in you. Ask your questions, be kind to each other, love the world. In resurrection, God says to us, I am still here.